at the end of the day, we are here to serve our students, you know, because they are our future. They are the next generation to carry the, our society forward. So anything we can do to make their life, their learning, not only easy, but a very positive experience, I think we owe that to them. In this episode of Sagebrushers, we welcome Vice President for Information Technology for the University, Dr. Sashi Pillay. I'm Brian Sandoval. I'm a proud graduate and president of the University of Nevada, and I'm your host of Sagebrushers. Dr. Pillay is an experienced senior leader for Information Technology Services, serving for over 27 years in various positions across academia and government agencies. Most recently, Dr. Pillay served as the Vice President of Information Technology Services and Chief Information Officer for Washington State University. Prior to that, he served as the Chief Information Officer for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA of course, John H. Glenn Research Center, and then as the Chief Technology Officer for NASA. Today's podcast is being recorded at the Reynolds School of Journalism on our university's campus. Dr. Pillay, welcome to Sage Rushers. I am so excited to learn more about your background and explore your exciting plans for information technology here at the university. So before you joined us at the university, you were the former chief technology officer at NASA, where you were awarded with both the NASA Exceptional Service Medal and the NASA Outstanding Leadership Medal. Can you tell us a little bit of what that was like? First of all, thank you uh, for the opportunity to serve you and our President Sandoval um, in terms of giving me this opportunity to serve uh, in, the, in the capacity as you described. Uh, my experience at NASA has been a wonderful, uh, lifelong desire to work for a great agency like NASA where a lot of things happen for the first time ever. Uh, but when you peel the onion and you take a look at some of the things that are supporting from an IT perspective, we do have quite a few of the things that we uh, deploy are pretty much standard. But then we have, we have unique kind of capabilities as we provide, whether it's in robotics or long-range communications and so on and so forth, where we bring in new technologies and try it out for the first time. Uh, and when I was there, we were able to establish a particular group called uh, what we call Advanced Computational Concepts Lab where we were able to essentially push the envelope for storage, computing, network, and visualization. So it's uh, to be able to work in an agency like that with a lot of colleagues who are a lot smarter than you are uh, is a learning experience for life. And I feel that these universities also offer, and at UNR also offers the same type of opportunity. So you're very modest. Um, tell us about those awards that you received. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Exceptional Service Medal I was given because of a lot of the things that I did at the university continued to push the envelope. And you probably already know, I've only been here 10 months, uh, but I'm never ever satisfied with the status quo. So I always ask every, and I work, I don't do that just on my own. I work with the appropriate uh, functional leaders to really say, okay, can we do this differently? Can we do these additional things? Or can we do it different than what, how we did it in the last five, six, seven years? Uh, there's always a reason why people always stay in their lane, uh, but I'm one of those who says I have more responsibility rather than just IT at UNR. It, it's about moving the university and the institution forward. That means getting together, offering IT services, and then dream 
dreaming together about the art of the possible. No, and we are so happy that you're here and you've done so much in such a short amount of time. You know, I, I think our listeners, they love to learn about the background uh, of our guests and how you got here. So how did you get interested and involved in technology and, you know, kind of your journey in life? You know, ever since I was young, uh, and I thank my parents for that, um, getting me an education and getting me started early in life. I was, my mom taught me how to read and write when I was three. And, and it was and that kind of passion for learning have stayed with me all these years. And the real interesting thing, even as a child, I enjoyed taking things apart maybe, and probably not very good at putting things back. Uh, so the concept of engineering and how we design things always have stuck with me, and I enjoyed it a lot. And I was able to get a very good education. My dad was a, co- a college professor. Uh, he did his Ph.D. in England. And then he came over to the United States and worked here in very many of the same universities that I now follow. Uh, but in any case, that gave me a, a good understanding and thorough um, grounding. And my dad is the one who said, you know, computing is taking off. And he was a professor in metallurgy, metallurgical engineering. So he said, you might pay some attention to what's going on in that area. And sure enough, he was absolutely very right about that. So I chose my career to use more and more of computing. My undergraduate degree was in mechanical engineering. Uh, but in uh, graduate school, I changed to computer engineering. That's where I got my master's and PhD in computer engineering. And, and that was a, a good sound advice my dad gave me, and I pursued that. Well, parents always have a lot of great wisdom. So your overall approach throughout your career is always focused on the end user. How do you see that taking shape here at the university? Yeah. So I always believe uh, information technology is it's an enabling component. Uh, and let's face it, in this day and age, it'll be very difficult to do anything without technology. In fact, whether you are a dirt hauling company or you are pushing the envelope on new technologies for vaccines or looking at new communication systems in deep space, you are always relying on technology, particularly information technology, to deliver those results. So uh, my saying is that you always have to be, no matter what your business is, you have to be a technology company whether you're ordering food or not, it, it, it's an essential component of your success. Because with the technology behind you, you can reimagine new ways of serving your customers. At the end of the day, we are here to serve our students, you know, because they are our future, they are the next generation to carry the, our society forward. So anything we can do to make their life, their learning, not only easy, but a very positive experience, I think we owe that to them. So anything that we can do collaboratively together across all these departments, we have schools and colleges, and using IT to enable that collaboration and that ease of use is absolutely critical. Well, and that's a a great segue to to what I wanted to talk about, because obviously people are reading about artificial intelligence or AI in the news. They're seeing it somewhat in their lives. And for many, including me, it, it can be very um, intimidating because you're afraid of what you don't understand. And, you know, I personally feel we need to embrace artificial intelligence. But more importantly, before we do that, we need to understand it. And so I know um, we've had conversations about this previously, and it's something that we want to have some conversations on our campus and be 
make our faculty, staff, and particularly our students familiar with it and how it can enhance their lives. So what have you been working on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, with your support, uh, President, uh, we have now established a group of about 25 of, uh, individuals across the campus uh, representing various departments, various schools and colleges. And we will be actually after the new year begins, we'll be working very earnestly to see how we can actually use uh, AI. And as you pro- mentioned, uh, AI, it has the promise and it also has the perils. Like any technology can be, you know, I say it's dual use. It can be used for good and it can be used for bad. So one of the things we want to do as part of this task force that we have established with your support uh, is to make sure that we are looking at all angles of AI, artificial intelligence on campus, how we can reduce the drudgery of what I would call uh, ordinary work, but at the same time, what we can do to learn about what's possible in the future. Uh, But at the same time, we also want to make sure we have a responsibility to educate our next generation students and teaching them about academic honesty is just as important. So if a student is uh, writing an essay using generative AI, in my mind, um, we need to allow that. But those ground rules has to be established by the teaching faculty up front. So in other words, use of AI has to be totally transparent. The faculty, if they are going to be using AI for the classes, and also allow set the ground rules as to whether the students can use AI as well. So in, in order to not just grading an essay like we historically do, we need to probably take a look at how we are evaluating the students. It might be more taught like a case study in a business school where everybody submits that and we talk about the positives and negatives and how those essays could be made better. Are the concepts clear, the conclusions? Was there a preamble? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And so many other ways of teaching and learning and evaluation that has to be changed as a result of the advent of technology. Uh, so I, those are the kind of things we want to look at. And then if you're going to be using AI, like I said, we have to be transparent. We've got to be careful there is no artificial bias built into it. And let's face it, most of the data we have collected historically comes from one segment of our population. So we had to be careful if you're using that to predict the future because, let's face it, still a majority of the world do not even have access to Internet or have the ability for a device to do some of the things that we are talking about, which is ordinary and everyday use in this country or in, in, in segments of our society here. So when And the data those people supply is a, a fraction of what the total world's data possibly could be. So we, it's up to us as we design these lang- large language models to support generative AI, we are cognizant of where our limitations are about using past data. No, and it's absolutely fascinating. And obviously, it's not going away. No. And, and so, you know, given that you're an expert in the field, what do you see you know, two years from now, five years from now? Is there any way to predict? Um, well, yeah, th- these... So it's like learning for a human being, but the learning for AI models are exponential. So these systems are only going to increase and continue to increase in capability. So all the more reason that we are designing with um, what I would call societal norms in place. And that, that, that is a responsibility we have. So being transparent, avoiding bias, and making sure it's addressing the needs of our society is critical. Uh, because it is it is very easy, to, unfortunately, uh, to abuse 
new technology as well. So uh, shift gears, we could probably spend <laughs> the entire show talking about that, and it is is fascinating. But um, so back to our campus again. I, I've heard you have a fellowship program focused on helping our student workers for IT transition into the workforce. Can you elaborate a little bit on that program? Yeah. So we, we are on the, just in the planning stages of that. We have ad hoc methodologies by, by which we hire students. We would like to hire students at the sophomore level, and we are completely open. We are not just hiring students who are in computer science because this is one great way to diversify and create a, a path uh, and create a pipeline for all people to contribute to IT. So whether you are an art history major or philosophy major, there's still place for you to work as a student in our organization. And then by the time we, you, the student graduates, after having worked with us several years, we want them to be able to, and we'll coach them and get them to uh, apply to uh, pass these uh, industry-based certifications like Cisco networking, as an example, or being a uh, Amazon or Azure in Microsoft a cloud engineer and things like this. Some of the projects that we're doing, they can also work with us side by side uh, to do that. So the idea of that is once a student is able to graduate with their chosen discipline, they're also able to get a degree, uh, sorry, a certificate from in, which is industry recognized, then they, the ability to, for them to command a very good paying salary out of right out of graduation is immense. And they can still pursue their vocational interest as they have so without having to sacrifice either. So that's our plan. Then once they graduate, we also want to offer them uh, a, an employment for a couple of years in, the, in, in our department. It's almost like a postdoc. And that also gives them an opportunity to continue to get a master's degree at UNR while they continue to hone their skills. So you can imagine the pipeline all the way from sophomore all the way to graduation, then an additional two years with us. Uh, and that employee, if they do decide to leave us, is now fully trained in very many aspects of the practical aspects and the theoretical knowledge they need to, to be a continuous contributor. No, that's it's wonderful. And it plays in, you know, I talk a little bit about the University of Nevada, Reno being a land-grant 2.0. Mm -hmm. We are an original land-grant university celebrating our 150th birthday, but we also have to keep up with the times yes. and technology, and, and we want our graduates to be ready yes. for you know the workforce and the technology that's associated with that. So as a Carnegie R1 very high research institution, what do you see as the priorities we should be focusing on as we move into the coming years? Yeah. So a couple of things, and especially in terms of research. So one of the things we want to do is to provide the opportunities for our faculty and researchers to experiment and evaluate their projects in multiple different platforms. Historically, those have been like wet labs. But what we want to do is to give them the opportunity to move those experiments into cyberspace and high-performance computing along with high-end networking storage and visualization well, help them to do that. Even in the biological side of the house, you can accelerate generations. So if you're studying fireflies or whatever, you know, it takes a natural time for generations to happen. But in cyberspace, you can actually design the algorithms so that you can accelerate that in cyberspace. So, but it requires a lot of work, a lot of algorithms, uh, and a lot of modeling and simulation, but those are all within our reach. And there are a few researchers around the country, around the world, who are already starting to do that. 
and, and being able to do that. Then, of course, uh, adopting the use of the cloud so we have unlimited resources to be able to expand what we have on-premise, and it would also be appropriate. No, that, that's wonderful. And, you know, I, I'm just so excited that you're here and providing our students with these opportunities. We're almost out of time. You know, you've come to us, you've been with us for nine months, come from Pullman, Washington, <laughs> Washington State. What's your favorite part of Northern Nevada? Oh, it's, I, th- I think the, the serene beauty of the environment is unsurpassed. Uh, I think every day just coming from getting up from my home and driving down the hill and just looking at it, you know, it really gives me time to reflect and how beautiful this area is. And then, of course, nobody has to say much about Lake Tahoe. It's only a stone's throw away. Uh, so the, the beauty of the environment and the people, I find the people here to be extremely friendly and helpful. And uh, so my wife and I have had a wonderful time staying here. One thing I would say, Previously, I had to drive 45 minutes to Costco. Now it's only 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are ecstatic and honored that you're here. And, and unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode of Sagebrushers. So thank you again for joining us today, Dr. Pillay. Thank you, President Sandoval. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve this community. So please join us next time for another episode of Sagebrushers as we continue to tell the stories that make our university special and unique. Until then, I'm University President Brian Sandoval, and go Pack!